Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Well, who was that? That wasn't Dan or Bernie, was it? This is Caitlin, who we've talked about before, our, our, our guest intern, but our researcher. She's a, definitely a research assistant and also now a podcaster. Hello, Caitlin. <laughs> All right. Yes, my name is Caitlin, and I'm one of the new researchers here for the podcast. I have a master's degree in American history with a minor field in world history. I took several ancient history classes as an undergraduate student and absolutely loved them. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to research for this show and work with Bernie. Yeah, and she's been very helpful, definitely. We're moving along with a lot of research here, and this is going to be a great podcast. But um, how about your accent? You're definitely not Swedish or, you know, from where I'm from with my funny accent. So you have a nice accent. I mean, you should tell the listeners where, you, where you're from. I'm from the Midwest, so I've got a little bit of a drawl. So hopefully y'all will bear with me as we go through the podcast today. Gotcha. Today, Caitlin's going to talk about some amazing women from the ancient world. And they, they lived um, even before the normal time of our podcast. So in other, in other words, before 1000 BC. So like we're going way back. And um, the first one, her name is Enheduanna. She is the world's first author whose name we know. So she's not the first woman author we know, but like the first actual author. And then the second one we're going to do is Taputi, and she's the first um, named chemist in history. And again, not the first female chemist, but the first named chemist ever. So 
I'm going to turn this over to Caitlin for most of this because she did the research and she knows it. All right, then let's get started, y'all. Okay. Well, I like to know where we're headed, so I'm going to briefly give you an overview so you can know what to expect today. First, I'm going to speak briefly on the role of women in traditional Mesopotamian society, what they did on a day-to-day basis, what their status was, etc. After establishing the role of women, I'm going to talk about two women from ancient Mesopotamia who challenged the traditional role of women. We are going to discuss their background, life, and what significant contributions they made to ancient Mesopotamian society. Some of these, contribu- some of these contributions still affect us today in the 21st century. All right, so women in ancient Mesopotamian society had a few different roles. These roles were often influenced by wealth and status in the ancient world. Before we can move on, it is important to understand women's legal rights and marriage status in ancient Mesopotamia. Women had some legal rights in ancient Mesopotamia, depending on the chronology of the timeline. In the early years, women had few rights. They were viewed as the property of their husbands or fathers. Essentially, She was not an autonomous individual. Occasionally, a woman of royal lineage might exercise more power over her choices, but this was rare. Typically, women did not work outside of the home. If she did, she sold the things that she made. Around 1771 BCE, the law code of Hammurabi was decreed and women were given a few more legal rights. Women were granted the right to divorce. They could also receive and hold property in special instances. Do you have any thoughts, Bernie? Yeah, I mean, well, the, my initial thought, I guess, is these two must be really special since, you know, they really didn't normally do that kind of thing. So, and I'm glad it's not like that today, but. Right. Really, these guys must have, these two, these guys, I shouldn't say that, but these two women must have been extra special. Mm-hmm. So women had few marriage rights in ancient Mesopotamia. They were given away in arranged marriages after they reached puberty. Their husband's family paid a dowry to the bride's family. A dowry was the price a bride's family paid to the husband's family. Some scholars insist that the dowry was viewed as a payment for the right to own the bride. I think it's so that somebody will take care of your daughter for you. <laughs> right. Kidding. Yeah. You know, but it was a sort of a. I think it was a sort of a thing like you know, a man. You know, family. A man and wife had a family, and then someone's got a, the boys. The men have to go out and be, do the you know, farming and be, do whatever supposedly was men's work in the day, and there was someone had to take care of the women. So I guess that's why they, mm-hmm. that was the reasoning why you had to give a bunch of cows and goats to somebody when your right. daughter got married, I think. Um, mm-hmm. They were pretty young, too. I, I know, like, in Assyria, they were, like, 12. Once you were 12, oh, you said, right, where they reached puberty. But the men were usually yeah. older, like, they had to sort of be established, so. That must have been I think it's just, like it's crazy that these like girls were like 12 years old because like I'm in my mid 20s and like just thinking about um, someone giving away their daughter like that young just kind of blows my mind sometimes. Total. My daughter's 12. Like she's exactly my little daughter. She's 12. I don't think I will give her away. I don't, I'll even give the guy a couple goats to take. Her. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's okay. <laughs> but yeah, I mean they just seem so young. But I mean it was a different world, obviously. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that we've established the roles of women, I think it's time we start talking about Enheduanna. The first lady we're going to talk about today is Enheduanna. She was the daughter of Sargon of Cod. She was a princess, priestess, and a poet. She was given the title En by her father, which was typically only used for high lords. 
She is one of 13 women known by name from the Akkadian period, which is circa 2350 to 2150 BCE. Sargon was known for his military conquest. After conquering the city of Ur, he placed Inhejuana there as chief priestess. She lived at the Yiparu religious center. She was the head priestess of the city. That's pretty significant if you ask me. Yeah, for sure. I think um, that's funny that uh, her name is like, was I guess before it was just Hedjuana, so maybe her name was Hedy. And then they named her N for Lord, Lord, Lady um, Lady Hedjuana. Lady Hedy. That could have been her nickname, maybe. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. But I know anyway, some, um, so I know the, the city of Ur was named after Nana, the moon god, but that's not to be confused with Inanna. And so Nana was a moon god, and he eventually merged with Sin. That's spelled S-I-N. He's the Semitic version of the moon god. So with gods, you could mix them together. So, um, so yeah. So and Sargon, he was the first ruler of the Akkadian Empire. And so that's funny. She's the first poet, and he's the first emperor, first recorded emperor, anyway. And we have some some of that in our podcast. We had um, we had the wife of the god Amun in Thebes. That was that's a high position as well. Um, but other than that, I don't know a lot of you know high women that were put in these roles that had such political power too. Right. That's my thoughts. So, Inhejuana was not only a priestess, but she was an artist. She composed many hymns and poems to the Mesopotamian gods. These poems honored the gods and were written in the temples. While Mesopotamia was in existence, her poems were passed down from generation to generation. She was most known for her poems dedicated to the goddess Inanna. Translated, the titles of her most famous poems are The Great-Hearted Mistress, Goddess of Fearsome Powers, and The Exaltation of Inanna. And Hedjuana does an excellent job of showing the fierce warrior side of the goddess and also her gentle, caring nature. Right now, I'm going to read you an excerpt from The Exaltation of Inanna. Let it be known that you are lofty as the heavens. Let it be known that you are broad as the earth. Let it be known that you destroy the rebel lands. Let it be known that you roar at the foreign lands. Let it be known that you crush heads. Let it be known that you devour, devour corpses like a dog. Let it be known that your gaze is terrible. Through these poems, the Akkadian and Sumerian cultures together uh, combined together. This was important if Sargon wanted to maintain his control of the region. She was allowed to keep her priestess position even after Sargon was no longer the king. <laughs> cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I don't know. She was a real badass, wasn't she? I Crushes agree. heads. And it's like the, we have the Virgin Mary is kind of our, like, you know, in, in America, like for Catholics anyway. She's definitely not, you know, thought of as, like, that tough. <laughs> mm-hmm. She was, um, Anana was the ancient Mesopotamian goddess uh, associated with like love, beauty, war, justice, sex, political power. She's kind of like um, Aphrodite and Athena, like mixed into one. Oh, yeah. And then That's she became called, I think, yes, yeah, she's became, she's the same as Ishtar. So Inanna, Ishtar, I think even like Ash. Like Asherah, who became the, um, who was the wife of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. So she was there, there, definitely a tough goddess there. And then right. this was this was during the um, revolt of Sar. The, the, the revolt Sargon wasn't the king anymore, right? So then this Lugali An guy, or I think he was Lugal Ane, he threw her out of the temple, but she prevailed. So. I know I was looking at, so it's sort of like, um, oh, I love this poem that she, this other part of the poem that she wrote. She says how she had to like walk through the thorn bushes and that, um, something like that he, that Lugalani gave her a, said, here, take this knife and dagger. It's all you're good for. I pretty much wanted her to kill herself. So, but she says mm-hmm. another one, funeral offerings were bought, brought as if I never lived there. I approached the light, but the light scorched me. I approached the shade, but I was covered with a storm. My honeyed mouth became scummed. Tell Lugalani and my tell oh tell An about Lugalani and my fate. May An undo it for me. As soon as you tell An about it, An will release me. So An is like the supreme god. So he's asking Inanna to you know put her back in place. So right, right. I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So. Her prayer to Anana is a sort of celestial battle along with the revolt. India Juana's hymns and poems are relatively new discoveries, but they illustrate the importance of Mesopotamian art and literature. Her works combined literary cultures and inspired many generations to come. Her works were copied by scribes and shaped ancient civilizations. I do have one cool thing to tell you about that brings us closer to the present. In 1927, Sir Leonard Woolery, a British archaeologist, uncovered the Enheduanna calcite disk at the site of Ur, a Sumerian excavation site. There are four people on the disk, herself, and three of the people who worked for her. She is at the top of the disk because she's considered the most important. Cool. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, she was definitely important, very strong political figure. You know, it's funny how you say, like, she was a strong woman, but she's a strong person, you know, then she was, she was able to, um, that's a tough job. You know, the Akkadians spoke Akkadian and the Sumerians spoke Sumer and they didn't really have an empire before. And now her father puts her in charge. And, um, you know, that was definitely a tough job. It wasn't, I'm sure she was no shrinking violet for sure. 
And right. then, you know, her father dies, and then it's her grandson. It's probably her grandson during that revolt. Well, I did it again. He was Sargon's grandson. I got the generation mixed up. Sorry. Back to the show. And then she, she came out on top. So, and, and that's another thing, like, um... I saw this uh, in other my research. So I something similar when Sennacherib flattened Bag, um, Babylon. They said that mm-hmm. all the reason that they lost is because the gods were fighting that, you know, Marduk and was didn't win against their god and that kind of thing. So that was sort of the same thing here. So she writes this poem to Inanna, and that's the god of the Akkadians. And then um, Ur's god was Nana. That's funny, isn't it? So it's hard to keep together. Um, yeah. So, you know, and then he lost, so they lost, so they said, well, that was the will of God, so, you know, too bad, I'm, I'm, you know, we're staying, but that's kind of interesting, so, I mean, you figure this is 2300 BC in our podcast, that was 689, so that's kind of a, a thing that was going on for a long time, well, we don't hear Very that today, right, you don't hear about these, like, eh, maybe people think that, I guess, I don't know, I don't believe in, in gods, know. you know, like in Inanna and those people, so I guess... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think that kind of wraps up yeah. our talk about in Hejuana. So, the second woman we're going to talk about today is Taputi. Some scholars argue that she was the first named chemist in history. She was a perfumer in the palace. She used a still to distill essences from multiple kinds of plants. She recorded her observations on clay tablets. These were cuneiform tablets. Unfortunately, the tablet is damaged, and only a portion of her uh, record survives. One of her tablets talks about a female assistant in her lab. Only a part of the name is legible, which is sad. But it means that Taputi was not the only female chemist in ancient Mesopotamia. Right. Which is really cool. Yeah, right. Yeah, because her name was like, her name was, they only have Ninu, like the first part is blank, but they know that that's a Ninu means a female name, so so yeah, she had a female assistant. That could be a movie about that. It'd be kind of cool, right? Taputi. I think there's a cartoon oh, that would actually. Be so awesome. Yeah, when I was doing some recent, did you find it? There's a cartoon about like scientists, female, like, oh, no, and there's like I a cartoon Taputi. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> I find a lot of weird stuff when I do. <laughs> but um, yeah, so this is from around the year 1244. Yeah, so. They think this was probably written down about 1239 because the king was king from 1244 to 1208 B.C. So a long time ago. That is a very long time ago. (laughs) But do you want to know something else that's really cool? Yes. Apparently, one of the perfumes made by Taputi can still be made today because the step-by-step instructions are still intact. (laughs) A salve intended for use by the king can still be made today. The instructions for the instructions call for calamus, which is a flowering wetland plant, flowers, myrrh. Myrrh is an extracted from a small thorny plant and oil. And you mix these together and it makes like a paste. Wow. We should look that up. Maybe we'll make it. We'll do a YouTube video. <laughs> I guess so. It would be kind of cool <laughs> to see what it looked like. I know, right? And it's a solve, yeah. Hmm. I don't know if I can get some calamus and myrrh. I can probably find some flowers. Probably find some more. Oh, we got lots of we got lots of wildflowers out here, so yeah, I can send you some. Oh yeah, well good. I mean, yes, wet. It has to be a <laughs> wetland flowering plant. Well, I don't know. Make a. <laughs> I'm trying to look that up. I'm gonna see if we can find that recipe. Come, stay yeah. tuned. 
<laughs> anyway, sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. You know me. So, um, yeah, I read some that the techniques by these ancient chemists in the Near East, not Taputi, but just in general, like art, archaeologists opened up some Egyptian tombs in the 1800s, and they found that the perfumes used to surround the body still retained their scent after thousands of years beneath the ground. So that's pretty cool. And then what distil- do you think those smelled like? Oh, God, I hope it didn't smell like a dead body. I imagine it oh, did. Yeah. <laughs> it probably smelled. I bet it was like kind of musk. Well, I imagine just from 3,000 years it was musky, but I bet, you know, the flowers and the... It yeah. is pretty amazing. Yeah. That's a long time. And then you know how I see like a scientist or like a mad scientist or something or just like any show and they always have like the little beakers and the bubbling things. Well, one of those is actually is like a distillery, you know, like a still for distilling. And um, I, I try to actually my friend and I bought a still, but we haven't used it yet to make alcohol. But the deal <laughs> is it's pretty cool. It's like very simple, but it's cool. So because alcohol um, dissolves, I should say, evaporates at a lower temperature than water. So when the when you you know you're boiling it and then the the steam comes off, you know the alcohol steam, then you like goes through a little coil and then it drips down. And but you know they would do this with all kind of things, and it seems like she may have distilled alcohol because they say that she did and i don't think the kind you, that they drank because you know you can make um wood alcohol and kill you but still making alcohol is kind of tricky and um yeah there was another thing she did called cold and fleurage and when i looked that up it said you know it was invented in the 1800s but aha uh-huh, they said she probably did it too and that's a cool thing you get like a piece of glass and put some fat on it pork fat or fat and they press the flowers and stuff into it and they leave it go um, a couple days and then they put more on and more until the flower the smell of the flowers gets into the fat and it's just you know and permeated and then you wipe the fat on things so that was kind of cool but how about this i know we might have talked about this before is amber grease amber grist it's called and i don't think they used it but why not talk about it because it's interesting and it's a a lot of perfume, not today as much because it's illegal, but it's made with whale poop, mm. which is what ambergris is. What? I was fixing to say, what is ambergris burning? I don't know. <laughs> it's illegal whale poop. I mean, it's illegal technically you could call it whale poop because it comes from after that's dissolved. That's where it would kind of come from. But it isn't technically poop. I guess you could say what it is. It's, cru- it's from a sperm whale. And it's crushed beaks of squids and fat mixed together, and it gets into their stomachs. And sometimes it never comes out of them, but when it does, it just comes out like a hard thing. And it, uh-huh. it, it sort of like washes up on beaches. And um, if you if you could find it, it's worth a ton of money. But it's illegal because sperm whales are endangered, but you don't have to kill the whale, so... I just found out recently too that they you could eat it. People eat it. I read I got a quote that says, "Of all the world's fe- of all the world's feces, ambergris may be the only one prized as an ingredient in fragrances, cocktails, and medicines. It's eaten too." Oh, oh that sounds not like something I want to eat. I know. I don't. Well, it like, said it tasted oh, like a thanks. truffle. <laughs> I know. It sounds terrible. But I bet if you didn't know what it was and you just said it was something like that, people might. I don't know. Yeah, that's just uh, all the things I've heard. Like that, I think that's going to be one of the craziest things. Yeah. Well, I'm glad yeah. we, could te- we could learn something crazy. Probably the listeners didn't hear about it either. And then there's a place called Ambergris Bay, and like, so it's 
I bet you the people there don't even know what it is. I don't know. I wonder does it does uh does this like stuff like just wash up? It must have washed up there. Yeah, it must have. Yeah, it must have in the time. And it's, it's um it's in uh, Belize. It's um it's there wasn't okay. that as many whales anymore, so I guess there probably used to be a lot more of it around. Interesting. It is interesting. I, was, I wonder how they collected it in ancient times. If they would just like wait for it to wash up on the shore, or if they would send people out in like boats, like to like hunt for it. Like, would you be like like a, maybe a royal title, like ambergris hunter? I no, don't I'm know. Gonna look that up. I wonder. I, I have a feeling it was sort of probably certain places where you had it, and it was pretty rare. A lot of this stuff was rare. Even the stuff we talked about, like myrrh and frankincense, mm-hmm. and I mean, like the whole. A lot of the part where we're doing the podcast now on the Assyrians and then, you know, them fighting in the Levant in that area. It was a lot of that was to keep the the, tri- the spice trade and like the, you know, incense and myrrh and all that kind of stuff that came from Nubia and through Egypt and coming through the Levant. I mean, that kind of stuff was prized through forever. And it's rare, but people like to smell nice, too, I guess. So, yeah, I do. I do like good perfume. So, yeah. I mean, I was Googling just before we did this to see if any other perfumes were made with ambergris, and it kind of came up, but maybe they just, you know, don't actually have it in it because it's illegal. But there was a perfume that was $1,450 for a little thing of perfume. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't I don't buy perfume like that expensive. Like, yeah. Like, that's a little out of my budget. <laughs> yeah, but what I tell you, it's a definitely an ancient process thing. And and, our, and the first one to make it that we know of is that we, you know, at least written it, wrote it down, Taputi. Yeah. Cool. So, do you think there's a place where we can like you can make perfume today, or like, or is this just like a very specialized kind of thing? Oh yeah, there's a place right in my town. I know the girl that owns it and her husband. They, it's called the uh, Note Note Fragrances, and they, you can make perfume. So I imagine they're in other towns. So you could go in there and you pick out what you like, and you can make your own perfume. Oh. I wonder if they have ambergris. Make a custom smell like. <laughs> I should get some. And ask you know, you put like ambergris on the shelf, and someone's gonna go pick it up and be like, "Oh, so exotic!" And you're just like, <laughs> "It's whale poop." <laughs> yeah, that's whale poop, and that's two thousand dollars if you want that in your perfume. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well. Okay. What else well, we got? I think enough about whale poop. Yeah, now. sorry. <laughs> Lastly, I'd like to briefly discuss the women who were present in ancient Mesopotamian royal inscriptions. So. Right. While this isn't necessarily an, indiv- ind- an individual woman, I think this still merits a discussion. Ancient Mesopotamia is well known for its visual arts. Many people admire the work left behind, but have noticed that only a few women were etched into the clay. Who were these women, and why were they important? Let's find out. In most cases, the women who are preserved in the inscriptions were related to the king or had a high-ranking position, like in Hijuana and Teputi. Mm-hmm. There are a handful of women who were pictured in the early Mesopotamian pictures. One was a queen, some were royally connected, and some scholars don't really know why the others were there, but they are. Hmm. Which I think is fascinating, and I think more work n- needs to be done on just these women and kind of how um, they were important to society. Yeah. It's so maddening when you find something like that because you're like, okay, who is she? And there, you can't find all you could do is speculate at some point, you know, until somebody yeah. digs something else up later. 
Right. It drives me crazy. You know, you could Google all you want and you look up everything and you look at every inscription, but if nobody wrote her name down. It's but, just like it was, it was lost to history, which is just breaks my heart. I know. We have a couple, we've had some cool one women. Um, but one that I would like to maybe um, research more into is Nakia. She was the wife of Sennacherib and the mother mm-hmm. of Ezra Haddon. Right. And when I found this small little note and, you know, a couple paragraphs from a scholarly paper and it was like it said that the around that time the assyrian queens had their own soldiers like their own regiment or their, i'm not sure how many soldiers it was or what well, it wasn't like a full army but it would, they had their own soldiers they were in charge of so i wonder sometimes that um and she was a very powerful woman mm-hmm. and um so and when ezra haddon's father sennacherib died so right, so that was her son because there was the other the brothers had killed the father and the father, and those brothers probably weren't her kids, and then right. a little war started and he he wasn't in town and I kind of wonder if Nakia used her troops to get to secure the capital until he he came into town. I there's no way I'd ever know that, but it really seems like it could be a possibility. So I remember sitting in my um, ancient history undergrad class, learning about Sennacherib and Esarhaddon. So I would love to do some more research into Nakia and kind of see more about these, her just like having her own soldiers. Like that just sounds so cool. Like, well, I'm let's do totally it on Nakia, definitely. more after we're done. Oh, yeah. We'll do, it on, we'll do something on Nakia and um, I'll give you a bunch of the stuff that I found, you know. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's so much stuff. You just, I don't have a chance to read through it all. I know there's just like a wealth of information out there, especially on the internet nowadays. It is. And the thing is, when you do this kind of, you could look and you'll find Wikipedia. So that's whatever, the basics. Then you start digging down and that's interesting. And then you want to find more. Then you find like a great article. But then these guys are arguing the most fine, minute points of history. And you have to go through pages and pages. I know. You know like, did this happen in April or did it happen in March? Like, yeah. It's not that important. I guess it's important, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, it's, you got to do Anyway, that's do that's a great idea. Let's do Nakia. And if the listeners have any other, um, you know, people, famous women or that we should do on, uh, definitely send me a message on Facebook or you could email me, Dan, whoever you however you got to find us and fan of history Facebook page and let us know because um, we'll do Nakia and we'll maybe do somebody else. That would be so cool. Cool. So I see something else. Uh, I saw something else about um, disintegrating baskets. Oh yeah, like you know, we don't have a like like you said, like you, how you mentioned before that there was um, you know, we found these inscriptions of women, but we don't know who they are, and that's uh-huh. you know that was at least on stone, but we have a lot of records of you know, um, ceramic jars and all kind of things, arrowheads from thousands and thousands of years ago. But those were what the men did, but we don't have a lot of stuff that women did because. One of the, they worked with like they made baskets, they made clothes, but those kind of things don't normally last for four or five thousand years, even two thousand right. years, even a couple hundred. You know, they will go away. Whereas the mm-hmm. stone type of things and the weapons of war they last. So that's a that's a common thing that you know we just don't have as much of the material evidence from women because they disintegrated, which is also okay. unfortunate. But we know there's been women because there's been people, and you can't have people without women. <laughs> right, that is a great point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody loves their mother. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so if you guys have any other um, famous women you like us to research, 
and talk about. We'll definitely like to do it. Could be any point in history, really. I mean, our podcast is mostly ancient history, so you know. But if you have something that's you know you really want to do that's not been done, and you let us know for sure. We, Caitlin and I, will definitely jump into it. I would love to to learn about more um, lesser known characters just in history. Like that's kind of like my specialty. What I like to to research. Yeah. So yes, please yeah, send those in. That. I would love to start digging into that. Yeah, let's do that. All right. Well, thanks everyone. Thanks, Caitlin. Thank you. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Bye, guys. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.